Hello, I'm Gail. Hi, I'm Catherine. Deborah Wood Holton, PhD, MFA, is a professor emerita at DePaul University. She's experienced more than a few career transitions in her 69 years, from professional dramaturg to scholar, educator, and mentor to adult learners, to professional coaching practice that specializes in women's life rediscovery before and after retirement. As the founder of The Comfort Club, Deborah offers a creative wellness oasis for mature, smart, savvy women committed to reigniting their self-care, nurturing their self-compassion, and adding sparkle to their joy. So Deborah, thank you for joining us as an advocate for women aging. We're so happy to have you with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm honored and just delighted to be here with you today. Thank you. I would like to start with uh, actually something I pulled from your website. And you say that um, an essential pillar of, in life rediscovery is the mindful practice of self-care. And then you quote the poet and activist Audre Lorde, who observed, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. Ooh. Gives me chills. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit, Deborah, about how you have moved into this arena now in your this phase of your life. Well, um, thank you for, for asking that. When you read the quote, I, I have to go back to my early formative years uh, before I was a dramaturg uh, when, when I was um, fresh out of college, I had an opportunity to interview Audre Lorde. As a matter of fact, Audre Lorde climbed three flights of stairs to have breakfast with me. I served her breakfast and interviewed her. Little did I know, and, and the interview is, is published in, in, in a, a publication from early on. Little did I know that I would be in later years still influenced and uh, excited to about the connection that I have to Audre Lorde because this idea of, of self-care as a political act, uh, kind of warfare, gets to what it means to be, I think, a woman in this last phase of our lives. We are so constantly bombarded with images of uh, the happy retiree or uh, the, uh, the, the woman who is carefree and without really attending to the realities of, of what it means to be an older woman in, our to, in today's society. And so taking care of ourselves and putting ourselves first, like the, when we used to ride airplanes and we have the <laughs> mask that drops down, the idea of putting that mask on first really speaks to this idea of taking care of yourself first. It's not about being selfish or other perceptions or stereotypic perceptions of, of women uh, attending to their own needs, but rather it's about being able to be comfortable for ourselves in ourselves, turning that nurturance on ourselves so that we can in turn, not only help others, but also um, have agency for ourselves and, and speak from our courage and our, our wisdom in uh, 
support of, of ourselves and each other. So that I, 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 I get goosebumps thinking about it myself. So uh, in your, you, you just kind of answered a question I had in terms of why is this uh, self-care so important for women? I'm wondering what messages do you hear from your, your coaching clients or the women in the comfort club about what are the, what are the issues that the realities that we're grappling with and that really need our careful care? Well, you know, we've got the comfort club as it was in, in, in its beginning stages was a support group to help women in transition, whether we be in transition to retirement or transition to other um, careers or within changing organizations. So there was at its inception, a desire to, and a recognition that the money, you know, the money and the medicine were not enough to, to focus on, that we really needed to have some sense of planning, but also create a space where we could just breathe and, and reconnect or rekindle those areas in our lives that support our intuition, our personal wisdom, so that the choices that we make are um, taking in our our whole being and not just what maybe society is telling us that we need to think about. And so it, it's really value centered. Fast forward to, <laughs> to pandemic times, um, hadn't, we had no idea that this, or I had no idea. And in our conversations with, with each other in, in the club, that this kind of approach to self-care self-nurturance, self-compassion would be so critical to, um, to just being able to move through our lives day to day. So connection becomes one of the huge things that you know continue to come up in our conversations. Last night we had our, our closing session and it was paramount, this opportunity to, to engage with each other, reach our arms across in our Zoom and feel connected uh, to each other. Uh, we use the term Saubona, which is a South African uh, greeting that says, I see you. And here in uh, the pandemic, Zoom becomes a way in which we can see each other, but also know that we are uh, connected. So connection is one of those major, um, major things. But also, or in addition to that, it's a, not a but, but more of an and, we are aware of how we may need to reconnect some of our neural networks. Some research that just emerged uh, not long ago talks about thought worms that we have, actually, that's the term that they use, thought worms that we have in our brains that are reconnecting neural pathways. And so in our, in our scientific approach to, um, to our comfort, where we observe, you know, how we are attending to certain things, we became more mindful of uh, the way, how we can reconnect how we're thinking about our emotions, how we are thinking about our approaches to food, 
how we're thinking about our values and how that informs as foundations to what we do. So it becomes uh, strengthening our mindfulness, strengthening our connection, strengthening our understanding of the value of planning. Uh, so that comes from both clients and within our uh, in our group, this idea of, of, of planning for this next phase, that we're not just going to accept what society tells us, but we can actually plan for it and be more aware of, of some of these other realities that. What are some uh, of the ways that, that you are coaching or that, that people, women are actually planning? Well, um, we're starting with, um, what I, I, I have a, a, a three-phase or three-prong kind of a, a, approach to this. And uh, as I mentioned, foundationally, we're looking at um, um, values as, as a, a platform to begin. It's kind of a cross between, a, it's a little Maslow, it's a little um, uh, trimester approach to pregnancy. You know, when you <laughs> think about, you, you have these trimesters and there are things to attend to in those trimesters that are not only um, residing within, how are you gonna afford to be pregnant, but how, <laughs> you know, are you physically able to be pregnant, but also what's your emotional, uh, stability in terms of that. Who's your team? How are you, you know, moving through that? And so, in the coaching practice, we're looking at uh, phases of the planning that take in all of these um, aspects, so that uh, we we are able to to come up with a strategy that is unique to the individual taking into account her values because you know my my clients are are women and of course if, if they were men we would, would create a plan that that focuses on theirs as well but just thinking about the woman's experience and what it means to be an um, a mature woman or a woman in transition using these phases as as areas some people are more comfortable and already have let's say their estate planning in place so that might not be a an area as much of concern, but it becomes one of the things to examine in that plan. Whereas relationships, um, we know that that there's uh, for women of color, uh, black women um, in particular, we have the, the gap, the the uh, um, kind of orphans, elder orphans, you know, women who have lost their their parents you know maybe without mates don't have that kin the the kin connection anymore who are solo agers how do they plan how are you know what's what are ways and strategies to help support them so there's a lot that we can do and a lot that we can draw from and each uh each person is you know there's an individualized approach to it but these thinking about phases of that plan based on what it is that they want to cover, of course, is, is, is part of it. Deborah, do you find that there are particular issues? You mentioned women of color and, yes. and with being without kin. Mm -hmm. Is that a, is that a, an area that's particularly particular to women of color or to black women or what, well, what is, what's going let me on? Just, let me just share with you. Um, 
I, uh, you know, in, in, as I think about older women, you know, just we think about women in general, and I have, have some notes around this. Um, we know that, that uh, from the Institute of Aging, as an example, that as of 2018, 50% uh, of women were more likely than men to give care to others with 75% more women serving as caregivers to others. So, you know, we know that, that uh, women are the primary, and I'm, again, I'm thinking self-preservation, how do we attend to ourselves so that we can give that care to others? Uh, we also know that uh, women are more likely to be depressed. Um, as in, in our in our aging years, that uh, one study said that 16% of women reported being depressed compared with 11% of, of men, and that was in 2018. So fast forward or moving to women who live alone, um, our ability to sustain our independence in light of that, um, you know, these these realities or this preparedness as well as our financial stability become, um, become issues. So when we think about black women living alone, the impact of not being prepared can be devastating. Um, in in the, uh, social, the, the media group, Ozzy, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but Ozzy, one of her, uh, their reporters, uh, turned her attention to the severity of this problem, citing an article that was published in 2017 by American and Canadian sociologists showing that elder black women in the United States face a kin gap, quote, meaning that they are without a partner, children, siblings, or parents at rates higher than other demographics. And according to Stern, the gap is widening um, in, 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 in a an amazing uh, rate to the degree that by 2060, 1.6 million black women <clears throat> the size of Philadelphia will be living without kin by then. So as a black woman, <laughs> I, I find this um, really, you know, uh, not only sobering, but, but uh, a, a point, a, a place where advocacy can happen. And this uh, report by the Institute for Women's Policy uh, Research provides uh, information on the status of black women in the United States, elevating the urgency for race and gender equality. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going back again to your, your question, there's considerable disparity between the overarching statistic for women, mm -hmm. you know, in, in our age group, you know, the, I'll, I'll say 69 and older <laughs> and, 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 and women of color in particular, this, this study looks at, at um, black women in particular, I would, you know, just by extension, think that, that there would be some statistics that would bear out for, for other women of, of color as, as well. Is that something that, I mean, it, 
do you see yourself then as an advocate for women of color? Are you through the comfort club, through your coaching? Well, while I don't add, um, have any, uh, commentary that says this is for black women only or for um, women of color only. I am by nature and by my um, subject areas sensitive to um, what women of color experience, whether that be through my engagement with the history or through literature or uh, drama or just, you know, navigating the world, I am sensitive to those issues. And, and you know, um, therefore, when we have cohorts where these, these uh, issues come up, we want to be prepared to a a attend to them mm -hmm. meaningfully. And as I evolve, my hope is to be able to be of some service um, more um, in, in more um, active ways. But I, I, I wanna go back to this uh, piece of, about caregiving because we know that culturally uh, women of color are also, um, you'll, you'll find that caring for kin is something that we are, is a cultural expectation. And so we may be under, you know, greater stress as as a result of that. Not going to um, maybe, you know, those areas where we can afford to have um, uh, care outside of our our, you know, families, or you know, whether it be for economic reasons, whether it be for uh, other other reasons. So, how can we be supportive in, in mm -hmm. that way? Yeah, really important. Deborah, you've had um, such such a long and interesting career, <laughs> and I, I really am curious. And I know our listeners are how how did you um, how did what what about your career led you to this point in life where you are so interested in solo aging and comfort club and coaching and and so what what is it you've been doing that led you to this that that's that how much time do we have <laughs> five or six minutes <laughs> okay then i'll abbreviate my answer <laughs> i started out as a um uh as a playwright um, when I was in my my uh, formative years, I'm a graduate of, of Howard University. I can say the vice president elect is also a graduate yes. of, of Howard University, and and was um, very much uh, about um, getting skills and developing my my talents and and abilities, and thinking about how they how I can use them in, in different areas. So I was always interested in, in the um, fluidity of these skills rather than saying, I'm going to be a playwright and that's how I'm going to end. And, and another, I guess, one of my uh, superpowers is being able to identify and wanting to, to attend to the needs that I not only make personally experience, but more the needs of, of, of others where I find them. So um, I become what I need in 
I become what I need. And so after over 30 years, uh, 30, little, 34 years at uh, DePaul and serving in various uh, capacities, whether it be uh, educator mentor or in administrative roles, um, I've, I've always been very much interested in um, being at the forefront of, of and and have you know been been a trailblazer in terms of figuring out what it is that needs to happen and and being a part of that initial team to make that happen, so that by the time we got to uh, retirement age and thinking then you know the comfort club emerged as let's be what we need we need to have a support system that that provides um, a place where we an oasis where we can um, um, be creative together and play together and, and tap into what used to feed us, tap into what can feed us, tap into a, a, a space within ourselves that, that goes outside of all of these other selves that we've been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That really gets to our essence. And so, I'm hoping that that answers your question. <laughs> well, I, I, you said one thing that I find so fascinating, and that is that you always thought of your career as fluid. And, and so that means that you have characteristics that allow you to think that way and not be afraid of leaving one thing for another or moving, you know, with the, with the tide. And well, I can't I, say that there is no fear. <laughs> there is, you know, there is the fear factor is, you know, is there. I think if I denied my fear, I would be denying a part of myself. But I am curious. I am by nature creative, and I get excited about uh, about possibilities and opportunities and what that might mean for others. How that might expand and broaden their knowledge, their growth, their learning. You know, as lifelong learners, we, we want to, um, um, we, we want that for ourselves. And we know that there's some joy in there that can be imparted to others. And so, you know, I, I just get excited about, about it. What, you know, what am I learning to do and how can I share that with other people? You know, thought worms, who knew? Let me share that. You know, the Dalai Lama's uh, Atlas of Emotions, who knew about that? So, so being able to, um, to share these discoveries, whether it be in the comfort club or whether it be, you know, helping expand women's ideas about um, how it is to, you know, how they can play much bigger Mm -hmm. uh, to use Tara Moore's idea that, you know, playing big um, Mm -hmm. is, is exciting to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love it. You know, uh, Deborah, I uh, just, I I have known Deborah for, for many, many years, um, mainly through the, when we were on faculty together at school for new learning, I have seen you, bring this kind of joy and creativity and and uh, as you had said the spark ignite help ignite the spark in learners in i've seen it in the comfort club i've seen it in um i was uh, fortunate to be in a group with that you've led about the um 
finding your own North Star, where we, one of the things that you were so helpful, it was really helping us understand the essential self and the social self and how, uh, when those are in alignment, possibilities abound. But can you tell, tell our listeners about that, that, that concept of the essential? Well, that, thank you so Well, thank you for the, the compliment, Catherine. That means a lot to me. Um, you, you, you've seen me, you've seen my progression and, and I, and so being here with you is, uh, as I said, an honor, both of you, I'm, I'm, you know, thank you. Um, Martha Beck, I'm, I'm certainly not the, the um, originator of, of this idea of finding your own North Star. Martha Beck, who uh, is uh, by her own admission a, re uh, a recovering academic, uh, is uh, also a coach. And so she, she provides for me um, uh, an, an excellent modeling of, of what it means to, to be aware of that professional self, that external, um, well-developed, well, you know, pro professional person who, you know, and persona who, who can navigate and negotiate the challenges in the world. And also the at, at 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 sometimes the expense of what she calls our essential self, that creative little person, that 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 spark, that energy, that that um, uh, aspect of ourselves that sustains us, the one that says no, I do not want macaroni and cheese, and yes. I do want to go to the amusement park, the person that informs creatively who we are in our essence. And so we have a, a chance in our later years, especially you know, in retirement and pandemic, to find our the guidance that our essential self can provide so that our social self, the one that moves through professionally the world and engages with the world, uh, can can um, get get her orders. We we I know I'm not alone when um, when I say that that you know there's always this voice that says you should you can you could be better you should be doing this you have to do that. And Martha Beck puts us in touch with the power of that voice, but also the power of our wisdom, the power of our higher guidance system, if you will, that says, no, you can. And let's figure out how you can. And thank you so much, um, critic, inner critic, for giving me that information. But let's now see how we can work together to um, to make those dreams realities, you know, um, and 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 not diminish our dreams before we even uh, um, have the courage to 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 think about them. Let alone Rose, there's something about aging, getting older, that makes it easier for us to um, access our inner guidance system. Um. 
Okay, so my first response was in theory. <laughs> I think I think one of the things that we've lost in our society, and that we we you know another another little piece that we focus on in the Comfort Club, is the wisdom of our sheroes, our ancestors, our myths, our stories, our goddesses. Um, those those places where the wisdom of the crone get transmitted to us you know um you know i i there's a disconnect sometimes between the power of those stories and what those stories can teach us about how we engage with the world and what it means to be older and how we are influenced by these other gods and goddesses whether they be through the television or social media or others that kind of undermine the power of that wisdom. So if we can reconnect to that, um, those stories, maybe reframe them for our times, um, think about our the shoulders on which we stand, you know, our, our immediate ancestors, we've lost so many um, to COVID. You know, COVID has touched us. Uh, we now are close to them in a, a different kind of way. And, you know, if we can connect to them and know that we are connected, uh, you know, across the ethers, um, the Egypt, ancient Egyptians called it, you know, the field of reeds, you know, in whatever heaven we might envision, we, we kind of make bridge those connections. I think that we can, um, in our last phase, make it glorious. And, and depending upon where we are in our own personal longevity, we may have 30 or 40 more years to go, mm-hmm. you know? And so if you think about where you were at three, if that's the case and compare and where you'd be by the time you get to that, the phase of 30, uh, we're just starting out. And so why not start out with the benefit of the shoulders and the wisdom of these women that have uh, endured, endured uh, so, so much on our behalf? And so can we become um, that for younger women? And if so, how do we do that? Uh, I think so. I think by modeling. Uh, I have two uh, grandchildren, grandgirls who are, well, I have three grandchildren, two grandgirls who are getting ready to go to college. And I, I just think about what they, um, what they may encounter today, but also uh, the life lessons that, I would not want them to experience that I experienced how they might create their own. And so the, the uh, bridging these connections again becomes all the more critical, sharing our stories with them, um, but also modeling for them, uh, moving past our fears and, and embracing our courage. Uh, finding ways to reframe our our stories so that we are the you know we're the heroines we are the champions for ourselves and so I think that in and of itself is instructive and and um, just so uh, uplifting. <laughs> wow, that was a very fast. Um episode. Uh, we need to draw this to a close, but Deborah, do you have any, any last words you'd like to leave our us and our listeners with? I 
think, you know, we have so much within us that we can tap into. It's, it's, it's really mindfulness and allowing ourselves to, 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 to envision what it might mean if we just stopped and gave ourselves permission to be. Who and how could we, could we do that? For, for us overachievers, it might be, I mean, that in and of itself is a 30-year journey. <laughs> how to be. But I just like to put the invitation out there because if we can create that space where we are are not doing and and not thinking, but letting our essential selves talk to us and say, you know, it's absolutely okay to sit down and have a cup of tea and watch the swaying of the trees or the, you know, watch our plants uh, actually sprout a leaf. You know, what would that do for our well-being and our sense of self? We're going to do because we we got to. That's who we are. But if we could find a place, a small place to be, and I'm I'm working on this myself, I, I think that we will cultivate our kindness, our love for each other, our love for ourselves, and and move into our our next phase with grace, with wisdom and with courage. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you so much. Yes. Beautiful. That was just beautiful. We need a switch. <laughs> we, we need a switch on ourselves. So we turn it, <laughs> turn the different sides of us on and off. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you.